Well, good morning, church. Uh, have, have you ever gotten buyer's remorse before? You know that feeling almost immediately after spending some money uh, that you go, ooh, that might have been a bad decision. You get that pit in your gut and you just, you stare at what you just bought wondering, man, should I have bought this? And, and then you, maybe you're wondering if you can take it back or you're regretting because you just bought something that you can't take back. And so the big question weighing in on your mind was, uh, is this a worthy investment? I know I've talked about this story in a life group before, but one of the times in my life I felt this the most was with a video game. The name of the game was No Man's Sky. Uh, and, and prior to this game being released, um, it was being advertised as a game to completely revolutionize video games as we know it. It was going is going to have eight over eighteen quintillion planets, completely unexplored, where you and your friend could play for years and years, and possibly not even run into each other because that's how expansive this game was going to be. Of course, I got completely sucked into the hype of this game, and I, I didn't just buy it; I actually pre-ordered it. So months before this game even came out. Before we even know, knew what it was really going to be like, I had invested in this game. And so the day finally came. The, the, the game had been released, and so I went to the store, and I picked it up. I brought it back to our apartment to start playing. And it turns out they were correct. Over 18 quintillion planets to discover. Each one semi-fractionally different from the other. <laughs> So as you can guess, on the release of this game, it was not anywhere near as fun as they had hyped it up to be. And, and soon, just a couple hours into playing it, I'd be racked with buyer's remorse. Unfortunately, like cars, video games depreciate extremely quickly after purchase. Even if you do are, are able to sell the game, you can't get anywhere near the price that you put into it. And so I, I, I've decided since this incident, I, I no longer pre-order video games. Nor do I rarely buy them at full price anymore. I tend to wait until they've had time to come out and we can get a fair um, understanding of, of, of what's actually in the game. But that's kind of what we're talking about today. What are we investing our money in? And are we getting a, a return out of it? And it is, a, is it a good return? And so if you would, we're going to be looking at the parable of the talents. And so uh, if, if you are reading in the NIV, it will probably be titled the parable um, of the bags of money. But if you would, you can turn to Matthew 25. Matthew chapter 25, and we'll start in verse 14. And so as you turn there, I'll give you a little bit um, of time, but I want to tell you a little bit of backstory, some context to this. At this point in the life of Jesus, he has entered Jerusalem for the last time. And a couple days after this parable being told will be the Passover, where Jesus will have his last meals with his disciples. Um, and so we have to keep this in the back of our minds as we read this story. 
that Jesus is getting ready to leave, that the cross is coming, that his resurrection is coming, that soon, uh, just a, a couple, like a week away, um, he will be ascending into heaven. And so in chapter 25, there are, are several parables that deal with this leaving and returning. And so with all that being said, let's get to this story. So again, starting in verse 14 of chapter 25. This is, it says, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, and to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. So here, just a second. Here in the NIV, it uses bags of gold. And in other translations, you might see it as talents. Well, a talent is just a weight of money. The precise monetary value of a talent um, kind of varies um, in this time and place. It would vary on location and, and um, who exactly is using the money. Um, but scholars would generally agree that a talent would be somewhere around 6,000 days of labor. Is that's how much money it was. I'll save you some math on that and let you know that would be around 16 and a half years worth of wages. This is important because the man who only received one bag of gold, you might think, oh man, he only received one. Well, he still received 16 and a half years worth of money, which is still a significant amount. And so back to the story in verse 16. So the man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The one who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. He said, Master, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, You entrusted me with two bags. And see, I have gained two more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the one who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown, and gather where I have not gathered seed. Well then, you, have put my money, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers, so that when I returned, I would at least have it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him, Give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more, 
and they will have an abundance. And whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So as parables go, this one is a pretty straightforward one with what it's telling us. The master in this story is Jesus. As I mentioned earlier, all of chapter 25 of Matthew deals with the topic of Jesus leaving and returning. And just to be clear, this isn't talking about Jesus dying and then his resurrection, but this is talking about his ascension into heaven and then his eventual return, his second coming to this earth. And so Jesus is using this parable to prepare his followers for what he expects of them between these two events. And so what that means is this parable directly impacts us as we are followers of Jesus who exist in between those two events. We exist in between Jesus' ascension and his second coming. And so this parable is really, it's talking about us. And so knowing that the master is Jesus and the servants are us, let's break down the rest of this parable. I think one of the reasons that the NIV decided to go and use bags of gold instead of talents is because it better represents what this passage is telling us and using language that we can better understand. This parable is about money, right? When you hear bags of gold, hopefully you're thinking, oh man, he just gave them a ton and ton of money because that's what happened. This parable is about what we do with our money. Now, the way I interpret this passage is that the master did not just give them the money as a gift. It wasn't like an inheritance or a, oh, here you go, go buy yourself something nice. But as servants, they do the work of the master. So they were given the money to continue the master's work while he was away. I feel this is an important thing to point out to better understand what happens with that third servant. Now, it doesn't say what line of work the master does. For the sake of something normal to our area to fit into our context, let's say he was a farmer. You know, just picture Jesus as a farmer with his overalls on and his dirty uh, baseball cap. And so he's got three farmhands. Now, based on his wisdom of what he knows about them, he gives them money to run the farm while he's away. Right? And the rest is kind of obvious. The first farmhand uses the money wisely. He's able to bring in a, wheat, a yield worth twice what he put into it. Maybe he had a good year of corn or um, whatever he was able to use with his money. Maybe he got, was able to get some more land. But either way, he doubled the farmer's money. The second one, the second farmhand was able to do the same thing. But the third one, he shoved his money in a mattress for safekeeping because he was worried about losing the farmer's money. And what we saw in this story is eventually the farmer comes back, you know, wanting to collect on his investments. Notice what happens with the first two farmhands. The first one, who had ten bags of gold, is told this, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things, and I will put you in charge of many. 
Come and share your master's happiness. The second farmhand only had, he brought back four, right? This is six less than the previous farmhand. And as we talked about, this is massive amounts of money that we are dealing with here. And, and here's, this, here's the response that the second one gets. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things, and I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The farmer gives the exact same response, even though they brought in different amounts of gold. The reason is, is because what they accomplished with what they were given was the same. Now, now here's a little bit of a mystery that I, I can't quite answer. What is the criteria that Jesus uses for what he gives people amounts of? It says that it was proportioned based off their ability. Right? What ability is that exactly? I don't know. How does God decide, you know, who gets what? I don't know. What I do know is that God has a wisdom far beyond my own. And so I'm going to trust in him and trust that he knows what I should be given. And what's important, though, is that in the end, there's not a priority given to one or the other. Even though the second farmhand brought in less, he accomplished the same. Therefore, his commendation and his reward are the same as the first one who brought in over double what he did. And this, this can be a concept that's hard for us to grasp at times. Because normally in our world, the person who receives more is viewed as more important. Well, you got more, you must be more important. But that's not the case here. The amount they are given is just different. And neither one is more important because what matters, what actually matters is what they accomplish with what they are given. But now we see the third farmhand who being scared of what would happen if he lost the farmer's money decided to stick it in his mattress for safekeeping. And here's the response he gets. You wicked and lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I return, I would have it back with interest. Again, what's important to understand is that this money was not given to hold on to. Doing nothing with it gained the farmer nothing in the end. He even says you, you could have at least put it in the bank to, to gain interest. And he calls him lazy. And this is because this was an excuse not to have to work. The first two farmhands, they put the money to use into the farm to gain their profit. But this third one found it better to hold on to it because he didn't have to work and he didn't have to worry about losing it. And what we see clearly from the response of the farmer, this was not the right decision to make. Now, as I studied uh, this parable, I, I, I often wanted 
a fourth farmhand in this story. Maybe another one who, just like that third one, received one bag of gold. And just like the first two, he went off and put it to work. But he ended up losing it. He ended up losing the farmer's money. He didn't bring back a return. Right? I want, I want this so I can see what the response of the farmer would be. Because that's the scary thing with money. Is whenever we use it, it usually involves a risk of losing it or not bringing a return for what we put into it. What do you think the farmer would have done? Do you think he would have been angry? Maybe he would have understood that not every investment brings a profit. You know, how would this response would have compared to the third one, to the third farmhand? But here's the thing. As much as I want that, there is not a fourth farmhand in this story. There is not one who lost all that he was given. And I think that actually teaches us something about this story. I think it teaches us something about what Jesus is saying. The reason there's not a fourth farmhand in this story that lost all the money is because the point of the parable is to contrast those who used what God had given them with those who did not. We acknowledge that Jesus is the master of this story and that we are the servants. Our job is to take what Jesus has given us and use it to continue his work while he is away. And this is where the tension lies in this story. Because the farmhands were not told when the farmer would be coming back. They had no idea how much time they had to use what they had been given. And what do we learn from the first two farmhands? Well, it says that at once they got to work using what the farmer had given them. So what does this tell us today? We'll break this down more, but here's the main point of this whole message. If, if you don't walk away with anything else, walk away with this one line. What God has given us is not ours to grasp to, but it is our responsibility to proactively invest it in God's work around us. Let me say that one more time. What God has given us is not ours to grasp to, but it is our responsibility to proactively invest it in God's work around us. What's important to know is that it doesn't matter what amount God has given us. The responsibility is the same. If we are faithful and good stewards, it won't even matter what amount we have been given because the reward is the same. And just as the farmhands in this story, we too are living in attention. We don't know when Jesus is coming back. Jesus could come back any moment. It could be tomorrow. It could be the day after. It could be a week from now. We don't know. And so this begs the question, is if Jesus came back right now, based on your stewardship, what response would you get from him? He hear me say this. That question 
makes me extremely uncomfortable. I mean, just talking about money in general is uncomfortable, but the Bible makes it so clear that God cares what we do with our money. How can we use our money to do work in the kingdom of God? One of the ways is through the church. Whether it's tithing or extra giving to other things that come up like a family in need or special events that we do like the back-to-school drive, these are great ways to invest in the kingdom of God. And actually, just this week, I received word that despite all the chaos and the craziness surrounding the coronavirus, that you all have made the decision to give at a rate even higher than last year. You've seen the need for ministry to continue, and even though we haven't been able to meet, you've devoted yourself financially to the mission of our church. And so we thank you so much for your contribution to helping us impact the kingdom through the ministries that we have going on here. And I want to encourage you to continue to do this, to continue to help it make known to our communities that we care about them and are generous when it comes to helping. There are so many fantastic ways that we can invest what God has given us into the kingdom. During the first week of the series, I told you that the the inspiration for this series came from a book that I read called The Minimalist Home by Joshua Becker. Well, Joshua and his wife, they used the money that they saved from ending material pursuit to start a nonprofit called The Hope Effect. And you can Google this and look this up. But the purpose of this nonprofit is to revolutionize how orphan care is done in struggling countries that have poorly run orphanages that are packed with kids. Their orphanages are, are different um, because they're trying to use foster care-like system um, where each kid has a maternal and paternal type figure in their life. And while providing access to health, dental, and social care, they're also trying to give these kids a basis in faith in Jesus. But again, This all started because Joshua and his wife decided impacting the kingdom of God was more important than sticking their money in a mattress to hold on to. Because you see, the reward we are given because of our efforts, it's not more money. I know in the parable they come back with twice as many bags of gold, but our return for investing in the kingdom of God is something far more valuable than bags of gold. Our return is in lives brought to the saving grace of Jesus. Just like the mission of our church, it's people finding and following Jesus. Our return is our communities becoming Christ-like, one neighbor at a time. This is the reward that we get to celebrate right now. That even if a single person is being baptized. It's a worthy investment. That we are not just making an impact here and now in people's lives, but we are making an eternal impact in their lives. The second part of our reward is sharing in the Master's happiness. That someday Jesus will come back to this earth and we will be able to join him forever. 
that we will enter a new place far better than any of us can ever imagine. And because of our faithfulness to the things that Jesus has given us responsibility over, we will also gain new responsibilities in this place. Church, I hope over the last four weeks that you are encouraged to turn your houses into heavenly homes. That you can discover a contentment of material possession and instead turn that desire towards making a difference in the kingdom of God. That even when things open back up and our schedules start to fill again, that calendar, you know, those events start popping back up, that you will still find the time to use your home for heavenly purposes. That your home will be a rewarding place where you can find rewards like rest or other people coming to know Jesus. Whether that's a stranger, a neighbor, a friend, someone in your family, or maybe it's even you yourself coming to know Jesus in a deeper way in your home. I pray that Jesus does come back someday and that when we settle accounts before him, that his response to each and every one of you is well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things and I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Will you pray with me? Dear God, I thank you so much for everything that you have given us. I know we look around our world and we see others who maybe have more, maybe have less. But our job is to invest what you have given us into your kingdom in whatever way we can find to do that, whether that's through the church, maybe that's um, through spending money on food to, to feed people in our home. Maybe that's to giving to different charities or nonprofits like Joshua and his wife have started. But God, I pray that all the people in our congregation can find ways to turn their houses into heavenly homes that they will invest their money in seeing people come to you. God, help us see those opportunities. Help us see the opportunities where we can be an impact in people's lives, that where we can help them now and eternally. But God, I want to thank you because before we do that for others, we know that you have done that for us. That you sent your son here to die for us and to be a sacrifice. And now we get to eagerly await his return. Help us be proactive in what we do on this earth to use our time wisely. And so that when your son does come back, we can be considered good and faithful servants. God, we love you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.